Good morning, saints. Today is Sunday, January 13th, Pastor Matthew's birthday, 2019. We're beginning a series today that will last the next few weeks or months called Band of Survivors. Today's sermon is going to introduce the series and we'll expand upon it as we go. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. Now we're going we're gonna, to uh, put on our racing shoes today. We're going to get covering some material. So you're going to have to be quick and uh, make sure that you write it down because we may just move on whether you're there mm-hmm. or not. Second oh, Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11 says this, In order that Satan might not outwit us, mm. for we are not unaware of his schemes. What an interesting way to say that. Couldn't you just say that you are aware of his schemes? There's something about this phrase, for we are not unaware. Say, we are not unaware. We are not unaware. Of his schemes. Of his schemes. Ephesians 6.11. Let me read it to you. Put on the full armor. Everybody say, full armor. Full armor. Of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Anyone who is dangerous to the enemy will be attacked. You wear armor for the purpose of going to war. And that's exactly where we're at. It's precisely because you've become a threat to the enemy that 2 Timothy 3.12 says anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus said the same thing in Luke 6.26 when he said, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. That's incredible. Have you thought about that? Woe to you if all men are speaking well of you. These are not signs that you're abandoned. These are not signs that, uh, warnings that you've done something wrong. Instead, they are clear signs that you are dangerous to the enemy and that he fears what your life is producing. Amen. This means that the body of Christ, the true body of Christ, will always be under attack. What is surprising are the methods and the manner of that attack. And it's what we're not supposed to be unaware of. I've just come back from Baton Rouge. By the way, King's Harvest Church has their building now. What an extraordinary step of faith. They are under attack, but they are prevailing. Justin shared a dream with me. And if there's anything that I know about Justin Johnson is when the man has a dream, it's true. And that's extended even to his children. His daughter had a dream the night before my son was in a car that rolled over on an interstate at 80 miles an hour. And she warned him. I can't tell you the times that Justin has heard from God rightly and shared it with me. And I, I want to share that dream with you in brief format. If you have two hours, ask Justin. He'll share it. <laughs> Justin said that he went to sleep and he was taken in his sleep to a building. And he knew in the building or in the dream that he was in a one association conference of some kind. This was right after our last conference. He left on a high with great feelings about it, uh, feeling the unity. And the Lord was warning him about something that was coming. He had all of this written out and was prepared to give it to me when, uh, when I met him this time. He said that as he was in this building in the corner, um, there was a shadowy figure. And he didn't notice it at first, that the people were worshiping, the people were excited and exuberant with the power and presence of God. And so he didn't focus at all on this thing that was in the corner. And what happened is it was clear and beautiful, like the atmosphere was pristine. And suddenly there was a faint hint of smoke in the room. 
Now, I'm not unacquainted with smoke-filled rooms, so I wasn't sure where this was going. And Justin began to notice that the smoke was irritating everybody a little bit, but most just stepped outside of the area that was bothering them and continued worshiping without any problem. Some, though, the smoke began to circle around their ears. And the longer it smoked, the smoke circled around their ears, the more they were worshiping less and contemplating more. They were still standing with their brothers, but they weren't interacting with their brothers very much. He said the smoke then formed a finger, and the finger went into the ear. And the longer the finger stayed in the ear, then a second one appeared and went in the other ear. Is at this moment, Justin becomes frantic because he looks and he sees that the shadowy figure laying on his side in the church grinning is actually a demon. And he is blowing it into the atmosphere. And he's frustrated, Justin is, that nobody seems to notice that this is happening. And there's hundreds of people there, but only eight or nine are really affected by these fingers that are in the ear. And he's, he's pleading with them and he's running and pointing, hey, do you see this? And nobody seems to notice it. What happens next is what we're addressing today. What happened next is what took a long time to form fingers in the ears of those eight or nine. Those eight or nine then turned to the people that were beside them and just began to speak. And as they spoke, it was no longer a faint smoke. It was no longer something that was barely perceptible. It was deep, black, dark smoke like comes out of my diesel truck. And mixed with it was blood and flesh. It was killing the person who was speaking it. But what is worse than that is as it went into the person that was hearing it, immediately the effect that had taken so long for the first person was accomplished in the second. Immediately. The revelation that Justin was sharing with me is quite clearly that a lie spoken from the enemy takes a long time to take root in people. And most Christians can just shake it off most of the time. But when an ambassador of the living God accepts a lie from the enemy and repeats it, it's ten times as powerful as the lie that came from the devil. Justin awoke in a cold sweat and he began to repent for trying to handle this through activity and correction and running to people. And and he said that the Lord spoke to him and said to him, you must war in the spirit. So today we want to make you aware as a band of survivors that we have to fight a spiritual battle and we cannot be unaware of the enemy schemes. The Lord told Justin this in October and much of it has happened from October till now. But the dream was not about our church. It was about the churches as a whole, all of them. And the total number of people that were affected were about 30 out of three or 400. I'm not willing to lose 30. Are you? No. Is in Incredible as that dream is, wouldn't you like to know and see where it is in the word to make sure that we're basing it not just on a dream, not just on a vision, not even an angel speaking to us directly. We can go to the word because this is a great, great message that Pastor Justin had through a dream. So let's let's turn to Genesis chapter three In Genesis three. You're very familiar with this, that the woman. She struggled with the enemy. There was a conversation back and forth between the serpent and the woman. He had to have a conversation with her. 
She had to be convinced to be coerced by what was going on. Did the Lord really say? I don't know. Maybe he said this. There was a back and forth. Almost like the first people that Pastor Eric spoke of with the smoke circling around their ears. It took a while. There was something that was difficult about it. But as it goes on, when the woman who is a daughter of God, when she received the lie and took it in, she offered the sin to her husband. And what did he do? He immediately took of the fruit. The Bible does not document that there was a conversation, that there was even any opposition that was brought up. He just took it and sinned himself. A lie coming from the devil's mouth is far less effective than a lie coming from a son or a daughter of God. Mm. Be warned, saints, we must guard our mouths and our hearts so that we do not participate in this kind of blatant wickedness. Are you going to guard your hearts? Yes. Are you going to guard your mouths? Yes. None of us want to fall into this trap. Numbers 13, I'm going to summarize for you. It speaks of a major event, a low point in Israel's history. Spies went out to go see what the land was in Canaan. And hopefully they would come back with a good report. that Then they could mount a victory and go take that land. But instead, ten men within these spies brought back a bad report. Saying things like, we're gr- but grasshoppers in their eyes. They were listening to the, the voice and the breath of Satan. Breathe these sinful, faithless lies. And in turn, they turned the hearts of the entire nation. Ten men turned the hearts of millions that were supposed to inherit that land. They turned them against God. And they turned them against their very leaders. They were blood-bought ambassadors. Yeah. And us, believers, followers of Jesus, are blood-bought ambassadors. And when we repeat those lies... They become more powerful than the lies of the devil speaking to an individual because you represent God. Is that revelatory? I got to tell you, I've never thought of it that way. Many times we don't intentionally repeat a lie. In fact, what happens is we just repeat something that we don't personally know to be true and we didn't experience. This especially happens when we take on the offense of someone else. You weren't there, you didn't hear it, you don't know what happened, but you repeat what they say happened. And this is just like extending the devil's power exponentially. In the prophets, in 1 Kings 13, I'm sure we'll put it on the screen, in verse 7, we have King Jeroboam, and he's speaking to a man of God that came from Judah. Now, this man of God was given very specific instructions from God. He was given instructions that he must not go with the king to eat. He must not go back to the king's house. He has to return home in a very specific way. The king offers him half of his kingdom. And the man of God from Judah will not do it. And you know why? Because Jeroboam was clearly in the wrong. Jeroboam goes down as an idolater for all time. And the man of God of Judah had no problem recognizing the lie that came from the enemy. But in 1 Kings 13, verse 16, we have a second man of God show up. I'm going to start with the man of God said, I cannot turn back or go with you, nor can I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. I have been told by the word of the Lord. Somebody say word of the Lord. That you must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way that you came. Listen to the answer in verse 18. The old prophet. Somebody say old prophet. Old prophet. In other words, he was once in the right way, but he's departed from it. 
The old prophet answered, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel said by the word of the Lord, bring him back with you to your house so that he may eat bread and drink water. But he was lying to him. So the man of God returned with him and ate and drank in his house. If you follow this story through to the end, the man of God of Judah, he dies a horrible death. A death that is a sign from God. And the reason that he does is he became disobedient to what God said to him. What caused him to become disobedient though? See, it is precisely because the lie came through the mouth of an old prophet that it had the power to turn the man of God from the will of God. If the devil himself had shown up and spoken to the man of God from Judah, he would have rebuked him and it would have been the end of the story. The devil's most effective lies actually come through the mouths of those who were once walking rightly and are now not. The reason is saints that turn to sin and they don't admit that they're sinning. They seek to alleviate their conscience with the participation of others in their sin. So this man of God was corrupted by an older man of God. But why did the older man want to do it? He both loved the man and knew that what he was doing was righteous, but he felt terrible because he was not righteous. And so he worked to win the man to his side. And in winning the man to his side, both of them suffer the judgment of God. Saints, you need to be aware of people that are trying to win you to their side. You're not on my side. You're not on anybody else's side. You're on God's side. Rather than move his heart... He tries to move the people towards his heart. The man who is in sin doesn't work at changing his heart. He works at getting others to agree with what is in his heart. The most successful lies in history have come from those who once spoke for God and are now speaking for the enemy. The most amazing king in Israel's history was attacked by the enemy through backslidden brothers because it is Satan's most effective Strategy. You can read that in Psalm 55. Psalm 55 verse 12 says this. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe was raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it is you. Mm. Do you hear the betrayal? Do you hear the pain in what King David is saying? But it's you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked with the throng at the house of God. As we're doing this, can you hear this pain that's there? There's no betrayal quite like someone who's close to you. I expect people out in the world to say whatever they're going to say, but if somebody close to you says something, there's nothing quite like that knife in the side. That's the truth. Can you hear his pain? His close friend, sweet fellowship, one in the house of God, and probably one still claiming to be a part of the house of God. Goodness gracious, there's no betrayal like a wife who cuts her husband with words. No. There's no betrayal like a child instead of singing praises of their parents who cuts them down and the parent happens to overhear. There's nothing like this. The Proverbs continue on and speak about this in a way that is actually seldomly emphasized. Let's take a look at Proverbs 2, starting at verse 11. Discretion will protect you. And understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men. From the men whose words are perverse. Now listen to verse 13 in description of these wicked men and whose words are perverse. 
who leave the straight paths to walk in dark ways. The first understanding is that discretion and understanding will protect you and it will guard you. We need discernment from the Holy Ghost. We need that double-edged sword constantly measuring and criticizing the thoughts and attitudes of our own heart. So that we can then be guarded against the lies that the enemy will speak through other people. Hear this. Who once were on the straight path but now walk in darkness. That is the enemy's primary tool of causing destruction within the body of Christ. You should take note of them. uh, Those that lead the straight paths and they become dark. You ought to ask yourself. Here's an important question. Why does this person feel comfortable? Repeating these things to me. Let me say that again. Why does this person who once was on the straight path, once in love with Jesus, full of the Holy Ghost, put together scripture strings like a boss and anointed from God, but now they are walking in darkness and continually justifying their sin and others to join them in it. What about me makes them think that they can repeat these lies of death to my face? It's because... The devil thinks that he can pick me off. We are a prime target because we are at war with the enemy. Is anybody in here want to say no to the enemy? Yes. See, what the one demon in the church in the dream could only accomplish in eight or nine people, understand those eight or nine did his work for him after that. And they were more successful at it. I've seen this in church history. I've seen it in our church's history. And you can find it in the Word. In Acts 11, there's a dispute that breaks out in the church. It's among the circumcised believers that have brought a a criticism of Peter. They say, you went into the house of an uncircumcised man and ate with him. They leave out the fact that they all got filled with the Holy Ghost. They leave out the fact that miracles were being done. And instead, they only level a half-truth. This was Satan's attempt to divide the church. See, attacks have always come from within because we aren't as prepared for them as the ones that are obvious and come from without. The lie that the enemy gets a Christian to repeat is far more effective than the one that comes from a demon's mouth because the Christian represents God. How important is it that we only speak the words of God? Look. Rather than think I'm talking about somebody else, can we just acknowledge that from time to time we've passed on an internet meme that was not true? Have you ever been caught in a chain letter? Have, have you ever repeated a story that you can't remember where you heard? How do we know that we're not being used by the enemy? Because Peter had the very best intentions when he said, no, Lord, that'll never happen to you. And he was actually the mouthpiece of Satan in that moment. And Jesus called him out on it. We have to be careful. We have to be on our guard. We must let discretion and understanding protect us from this wickedness and keep us aware so that we never participate in it. And that's incredible. I want to, I want to reemphasize the point. I'm sitting here waiting on my turn, enjoying what's being said. And what keeps going on and over in my head is we're not talking about someone who's not here. We're talking about you. Yeah. If you think we're preaching to people not here, that's, that's a waste of our own time. We're preaching to you this morning. We're preaching to you the things that God has put through other pastors, through prophetic dreams, through the very word of God. Second Peter 2 says this. It talks about those false prophets who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. 
They don't do that with, with a wide open stance. It's through the whispers of disgruntledness. It's through the whispers of these demonic forces. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of the truth into disrepute. Who will follow? Many. Many will follow. That should sober your very soul at this moment. Because this letter was written to Christians just like us. If the goal of a conversation is to erode your trust in where God told you to be, or the men God told you to work with, or the place you are to do your work, then it is certainly, everybody say certainly, certainly, coming from the mouth of someone who has left the right way and is in darkness. Don't try to find someone else. Evaluate your own heart against this scripture right now. Now, I I bet you they're talking. No, I'm I'm telling you we're talking about you. These lies are more dangerous than holding a conversation with Satan himself. Because you are talking to a man or woman that is God's mouthpiece, but has been corrupted. We are not to be unaware of the enemy's schemes. Hmm. Let's go into further detail about the enemy's schemes. I just want to reiterate what Pastor Wade just said. The people that were designed to be God's mouthpiece are becoming the devil's breath of death. That there's this decay that's flowing out through your words. The little conversations that you have on the side, maybe in between worship and the sermon. Just a nice little quip. It's the devil's scheme to begin sowing through you that breath of death that will cause others to die. Paul begins to address this in Galatians 1. He says, I am astonished you are so quickly deserting the one who called you. You know, sometimes it's a bit painful to look back through slideshows from previous years. Because I am astonished to see how people so quickly desert the very one who called them not just to be saved, but to be planted in this church. That we could all pour our lives into them and build them into the house of God. But with there's a slight offense... With this, a look across the room, the devil is able to sow a seed of, of separation inside of them. And then it carries on into that breath of death into other people. He goes on to say, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. You know, the most major heretical cults came from men who once walked rightly with God. Yeah. They were... Men of, of great stature in the kingdom of God, able to wield God's word uh, expertly. But then, once they fell prey to the devil's lies, they now became that mouth, mouthpiece of death, causing others to die. Saints, don't lend your ear to a slipping brother. Let me say that again. Don't lend your ear to a slipping brother. Use the family sword, the word of God, and rebuke him sharply. Not because we hate them, we love them. Because we love them, we rebuke them sharply, hoping that the word of God will awaken them from their sleep and slumber. Awaken them from that grip of death that is choking out the life inside of them. Who in here has ever been saved by a life-giving rebuke? Yes. Look around you. Look at the hands that are up. It is not a loving act to sympathize or empathize with someone going the wrong way. And nobody who is going the wrong way knows that they are. If they were once on the right path and Proverbs 2 calls them wicked and perverse, 
Do you think they set out to become that way? I want you to understand. I've seen people come out of prostitution. I've seen people come out of wanton drug use. I've seen people come out of homosexuality. I know people that were once transvestites that eventually fall in love with Jesus so that they are a brand new creation. But when they start to go wrong, they don't know it. They think something is wrong with everyone else, not with them. When we give ear to that, you are encouraging them down the wrong road just by listening to them. What needs to be done is say, hey, where was your life saved? Who preached the word of God to you? What built you? How dare you turn from it? And instead, what happens is, oh, it could happen to anybody. Oh, we, we, we understand. We're so sorry. We so badly need you. We need you. Really? We need every man, woman, and child that God's called to be here. You know what we do not need? One faithless person that is committed to error. And that includes any of you that are sitting here right now. It's not an easy word, but it's a good word. Do you know why? God will do more with the band of survivors who really want him and can overlook offense. Do you know that Proverbs says it's to a man's glory to overlook an offense because his patience gives him wisdom? A man that cannot look overlook an offense is destined to go right back to the vomit that he came from. And because it takes 18 months, two years, five years, you're always surprised when it happens. Do you know I'm not? I'm not because I've been watching this happen for 26 years. If all of the people that I personally baptized or personally laid my hands on to be filled with the Holy Ghost were still doing well in Christ today... There would be an army taking over Houston. Yeah. And you know what? Every man of God that I know has the same testimony. Yeah. They, they, they all do. This is because the faith of most grows cold. And if you knew it was growing cold, you wouldn't participate in it. The deception is that you think you're serving God while you're walking away from him. That's what makes the community around you so important. Amen. Now I want to talk to you about what you actually are. You are a band of survivors. This is the word that we received. It was the word for the year at the bonfire. You're not just a band of survivors. You're a band of triumphant survivors. Do you know why? Despite devil's every attack from the year 2002 when we started till now, you still stand here. You stand in a place that God called you to doing what God called you to. You haven't fallen to the lie that says I can serve God anywhere. And it is a lie. You can serve God anywhere that He sends you. You may not serve God in a place that He didn't send you. You're serving yourself, not God. And yet every backslidden Christian that I know says the same thing. Oh, you guys think you're the only church. We can go serve God anywhere. And they end up serving Him nowhere. You have an assignment like a soldier. And whether or not the people in the chain of command are perfect, they've never been perfect. That has nothing to do with your assignment. It has everything to do with you carrying out what God said for you. The word for the bonfire came from 2 Kings 19. And in 2 Kings 19 and verse 29, listen to how beautiful this is. This will be a sign for you, O Hezekiah. Do you remember Hezekiah's setting? He's surrounded by the most massive military might 
that Israel had ever been attacked by up to that time. It shook the whole world and took over most of the known biblical world. It was a a warlord named Sennacherib, or as brother Charlie calls him, Sennacherib. This will be a sign for you, O Hezekiah. This year you will eat what grows by itself. The second year what springs from that. But in the third year, sow and reap. Plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Here's the important word. Once more, a remnant of the house of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. We are watching your roots deepen. We are watching you shake off things that have collapsed other men and women. And as your roots deepen, fruit will grow above. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. In the last few years, Think of what we have endured together. We've endured the physical death of our friends and family members. We've had caskets in this church building. We've endured attack on our offspring on an unprecedented level. The number of hospital visits and surgeries and difficulties have been overwhelming. We have endured the falling away of previous godly men from their life's work and purpose. They say that they're doing it, but many times they haven't attended church since they left. This onslaught by the enemy is because we are dangerous to him. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a dangerous Christian. I'm a dangerous Christian. No, do it again. Look at him and say, I'm a dangerous Christian. Look, this is not with a dainty wrist. This is not, I'm a dangerous Christian. This is, I'm a warrior. I am a dangerous Christian. See, because we are dangerous to him, He has attacked us. And the word of the Lord is this year we will prosper. See, the enemy is not going to hold us back. And we are not counting heads in the seats to determine prosperity. We are watching the growth in your life and saying, this church is stronger than it has ever been before. The lives of the people in this church are more unshakable than they've ever been before. The devil hasn't broken our resolve. He managed to stiffen our resolve. Amen and amen. Turn with us to Genesis chapter 45 and verse 7. Band of survivors. That's what we are. Look here what it says. It says this, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Anybody ever been saved by a great deliverance? Yeah. Yeah. I don't just mean sometime in the past when you initiated a prayer. I mean, in your daily walk. How many times have you had to been saved by a great deliverance? All the time. I can't even count it. You know what's an interesting thing? Some of you may have this footnote in your Bible. I want to show you something. It says, instead of to save your lives by a great deliverance, it says, save you as a great band of survivors. Come on. Come on. That, is, that should be, this is a word of God that Miss Joe presented at the New Year's Eve bonfire. This is a word of God for this church, a band of survivors. The attack on Joseph was effective because Satan used his brothers to do it. It was through his brothers. He had opened up in a special kind of way. He had said things that that many people think that maybe he shouldn't have even said to them. Yeah, the problem wasn't that he said it. The problem was the brothers that he had. It was effective. But it was effective. But God caused him to prosper anyway. 
He was not unaware of the schemes God caused Joseph to prosper in light of even his family turning on him, selling him into slavery. It's almost like there was a family sword at work. A double-edged family sword. God took the attack of the enemy and turned it into a victory that created salvation for a band of survivors. This is the spirit that we are trying to communicate to you today. This is what we are, a band of survivors. Let's look at another group of a band of survivors. Isaiah chapter 4 verse 2. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors of Israel. The context of this verse is that you have generations that have been unfaithful to the Lord. And there is impending captivity. And God is still proclaiming in that moment, in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. Come on, we are joining Israel as a band of survivors. We are participating with them in that glory, in that ability to produce fruit, even though there has been a desolation in years before. In your lives as pastors, we get to see that fruit coming alive. The very word that is being spoken to us at New Year's, immediately at the transition point from 2018 to 2019, Lindsay and Ray announced that they are pregnant. They're having life. That is our ability to take pride in what God is accomplishing. That is our ability to continue to see the glory of God come to our king through us bearing fruit in our own lives. We are a band of survivors. Come on, we need God's power. We need the the Holy Ghost to sustain us, to revive us, and to set us ablaze so we can set other people ablaze. We will not be derailed from our destiny because of some petty offense, some demonic lie, or just plain cowardice. The devil may have thought he succeeded in pulverizing your heart. Well, I got a word for you, devil. You just succeed in plowing the soil so that I can be planted firmly in the house of God. You need to be able to look at him and go, oh, that's cute. Did you think that would hurt? You just made me stronger. The truth is, no matter what it costs, I am following the Christ. And the more that it costs me to follow the Christ, the more sure I am that I am going to follow Him to the end. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm dangerous. I'm dangerous. I am a survivor. survivor. Ezra the priest was a survivor. In Ezra 9 and verse 8, He says, but now for a brief moment, the Lord, our God, has been gracious in leaving us a remnant. I'm saying it's a remnant of survivors, a band of them. And giving us a firm place in his sanctuary. Do you have a firm place in the sanctuary? Yes. One of the cutest things and saddest things that I can remember is a new couple in this church said, look, we're being kind of tentative with you because we don't want to be thrown out. I think it's cute because the whole goal of a church is to bring people in and affect their lives. We don't want to throw people out. But I think it's also sad because we have had to throw people out. And the unintended consequence of that is some wondered how firm their position was. Well, firm it up. 
Because as you are planted in the house of God, the more you have endured, the more you get firm in the house of God. You know what? You ought not feel anymore like you are coming to our church. If you're standing here, this is your church. You have given us a firm place. You know what else that means? When somebody says, well, I don't know about that church. They're not talking about me anymore. They're not talking about them. They're talking about you. You better stand up and say, you're talking to a dangerous Christian. And a rebuke is right now loading. Brace yourself. If you thought you were going to get a Joel Osteen ear, you're wrong. Pick up your sword and go to work. Perhaps you'll save a life. See, Ezra was not a dandelion. He was not a lollipop. Ezra was a man of God. And he recognized that he had to stand firm in the house of God. He goes on to say in verse 9, Though we were, though we are slaves, our God has not deserted us in our bondage. He has shown us kindness in the sight of the kings of Persia. He has granted us new life to rebuild the house of God. See, I've seen many, you've seen many come and go from this place. But we who remain, we are a band of survivors and you have a firm place in this sanctuary. The devil himself cannot uproot you. Certainly don't let a slipping Christian uproot you. We are going to rebuild this house in all kind of ways. It has suffered for men that abandoned their purpose. But you know what? Other men are discovering their purpose in this building. We have the strongest group of disciples we've had in any year ever. The house of God is firm. It will not be derailed by the faithlessness of those who abandon the house that they found their purpose in. And I'm not mourning over it. Not now. Not ever again. Because that would punish you. It's not that we don't care. It's that we care more about what God is doing than what the devil has done. Come on now, are you going to be a dangerous Christian? Yes! Amen. Amen. Turn with us to John chapter 6. And find your way to verse 66. John 6, 66. That's not the same as 666. It's chapter 6, <laughs> verse 66. But it's kind of interesting, the topic of said <laughs> verse. There's nothing like having your heart stirred, is it? There are many people who have been with us and been able to cheer us on and said amen, just like you just did. Who applauded us with the most deep and passionate of applause. And who are no longer with us. Look at John 6, verse 66. From this time, many, say many, many, of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Did you hear Pastor Eric say that earlier? If everyone who's been touched at this church, even in the last few months, we'd have an army that could take over the entire city of Houston. In the last year. I can think of people who were baptized in Pastor Matthew's pool who are no longer here, turned, tucked tail, and ran, who we gave housing, clothing, set free from demonic influence, watched them be baptized in the Holy Spirit and in water. Not here today. I'm not going anywhere. 
Are you going anywhere? <laughs> no. I'm firm in the house of God. Will their lack of resolve affect your resolve? No. I'm firm in the house of God. Pastor, are you firm? I'm firm. <laughs> Look how Jesus responded to this in verse 67. And compare this with what we're saying to you today. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. He turned to the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles and said, you want to go too? You can go right ahead and go. Hey, this is our attitude here. It's not one of callousness. It's one that is reflecting the actual example of Jesus Christ. Hey, we're not going to worry about the ones who aren't here. We're going to build with the ones that God sends here. The ones who are committed to being a band of survivor, who are being committed to being a dangerous Christian. That's who we'll build this with. The ones who are actually worthy to stand here amongst us. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, where are we going to (laughs) go? To whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. I can assure you that this is my exact attitude. I love this passage. I'm so glad it it fell to me here. I love this passage. Where else am I going to go? I, let, me, let me just give you a brief personal testimony. I've been part of very, very, very large churches. Some of the biggest churches in the country. And you know what I found out there? That they had entire huge congregations, but almost no disciples. They had huge throngs of people. But many, many, many who would turn away from even the hardest part of what God had asked them to do. Yeah. Most. You know, on a, on, I, I can't believe that this happened and I got to see it up close and personal. A church that I was a part of invited a superstar athlete to come and be the Easter main speaker. It was on ABC. It was on Time articles. And what the ABC uh, news snippet did with George Stephanopoulos. You know what they did? They made fun of the church that I was at. You know why? Because as soon as the big name artist got done, big name athlete got done, droves of people left before the actual sermon on an Easter Sunday. Oh, we had tens of thousands of people out there, but not one true disciple in the bunch. When Peter says, Lord, where am I going to go? I can say that about my life and about my family. I don't want to go anywhere else. Amen. 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 I don't want to go. I don't have any desire to do anything other than the, than the band of survivors that God gives to us to be a, a Amen. Amen. I'll fight. I'll die to do this because I've seen the other and it leaves you so, so wanting. Where else am I going to go, Lord? Not only does the Lord have the words of life. But this place has the words of life. Amen. Jesus Christ has given this community of believers the words of life for the members of this congregation. The truth is, is as your pastors, we actually expect many to defect. We expect it. But some see defection as a sign that we're doing something wrong. Shouldn't you measure yourself against this? We're measuring ourselves against the word. And what we see in the defection is that perhaps... (laughs) <laughs> the Lord is getting rid of those who aren't the real band of survivors. Perhaps that this is going to be a purification for us. Perhaps it's a warning to us to hold strong. He didn't. And so we won't not beg anyone to stay Amen. to be a part of something that's this precious. It lessens the preciousness of what you have. The band of survivors that see its precious nature are seen by God himself. 
Look, the same man that, that uh, is standing here saying, where would we go? You know what he wrote about the church? In 1 Peter 2.17, he just says plainly, love the brotherhood of believers. Do you love the church that God has called you to? Yes. There may be a global church. There may be many other fine churches. I know the one association's full of them. But you ought to love the one church that God called you to. Yeah, amen. We're not asking for loyalty to the church above Jesus. We're asking to loyalty to the church because it's where Jesus put you. Amen. I love this body of believers. Do you honestly think that these three pastors have to be in a storefront in a warehouse district outside of town west? We chose to be here. Amen. We chose to be here because we love you. We chose to be here because we love the brotherhood of believers. And we know what is going to come out of here is going to change the world. Amen. We know that. Amen. Somebody say, I love, I love the brotherhood of believers. The brotherhood of believers. If you love the brotherhood of believers, then you'll take heed to the warning that Paul gave in 1 Timothy 5.19. Warning you not to entertain an accusation against your leaders without two or more witnesses. Come on, what does entertaining look like? Come on, you're going to cook some dinner. You're going to vacuum and clean every part of the house. You're going to make sure that there is an adornment of not only food, but amenities. When we go to the movies, we are entertained. It's hours long of being uh, just being entertained. Exactly what I'm saying. But the whole point is, how much time are you giving to even just the thought of an accusation towards one of your leaders? Are you cooking dinner for it? Are you sitting with it playing in front of your eyes in your mind for hours and hours, letting it soak? Come on, what, what's the name for Satan? What does it mean? Accuser of the brethren. So when you're entertaining that accusation, it's not a truth. It's a partial truth that becomes a full lie. You are letting that, that whisper of the accuser of the brethren manifest inside your own heart and produce death, countering the very fact that you need to love the brotherhood. Yeah. Not these brothers. Because you're firm in the house of God. Yeah. You're dangerous Christians. You're not going to go wrong just because some have, are you? No. Better get planted. One of the things that the devil does to uproot people is lies and rumors. Now, these are things that don't have to be true. You know, there are questions you're not allowed to ask in a court of law. Watch this. I cannot say so. Mr. Stevens, when exactly did you stop beating your wife? Do you know why I can't ask that question? It is such a leading question with which there is no answer he can give that does not prejudice the jury. I'm not allowed to ask that question unless it's been established that he is beating his wife. Otherwise, asking it makes him look guilty of something that there is no proof that he did. You are not allowed to do that in court. But people can do it to pastors all day long. One of the ones that came out of another church, so that we're not talking about it here. Another church in the one association. A man looks right at his pastor and says, what was your motive when you did that? Doesn't that assume the pastor's motive was bad? Yes. The pastor has raised the man that was speaking to him since he was a child. And he's now an adult with children. What gives him the audacity to assume such negativity of a man that has spent decades serving him? Satan did. That's what happened. 
And he's still loved. He's still in the church. He's received correction and is doing great. And I'm proud of him. But it was still the mouthpiece of Satan. Let's go to Romans chapter 11. Verse 25. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers. So that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part. Until the full number of Gentiles has come in. Say, I'm firmly planted in the house of God. I'm firmly planted in the house of God. Come on, this message and this word in Romans 11 is for you. It's for me. It's to give us a warning to not be conceited because the very next line makes it even more clear. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godliness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Has the king of kings taken away your sins? Oh, you got to shout better for that. That's it. To be free from sin. Come on, saints. Don't let somebody else drag you back in it. Come on, the blood of Jesus has paid for your sins. You're washed clean. That makes us, that makes you a band of survivors. And laid out very clearly here in Romans 11 that we Gentiles get to participate with Israel in that salvation. We get to participate with Israel in being that band of survivors. Because God has always had a band of survivors. We are grafted into that band of survivors. I love that Israel has endured. Thrown out of every nation, attacked by most, and yet they endure. Israelis are tough. They're tough historically. They're tough as a nation. I love that they received the word of God and that it's come as far as you. Man, that's an amazing thing. But the things that I love about Israel are also true of this band of survivors. You have not bowed the knee. No matter what it has cost you, you are still trudging forward. Some days quickly, some days slowly, some days limping, but never stopping. That is what a band of survivors does. And so we share the destiny of those who are princes with God. I want to show you something that the Lord said to Israel in Leviticus 26. We're going to look at verses 9 through 13. And what we're now talking about is not the attack that we've received. What we're now talking about is not the fact just that we are a band of survivors. But we're going to talk about how you implement the attitude of a band of survivors. Do you all want that? Yes. Leviticus 26, beginning in verse 9. I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers. And I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out to make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. Listen to this last verse. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. If the bars of your yoke have been broken, then you may not put on the old yoke again. The saddest thing that happens is when somebody stoops down and rebuilds the sinful life that God destroyed. See, He broke it. He broke it. We have now been able 
enabled to walk with our heads held high. We are not controlled by the lies of Egypt repeated by backslidden brothers. This year is going to be a year of prosperity. Do you know one of the first ways that you can express faith in that? Hold up your head. We don't walk around mourning. We don't walk around with our face towards the ground. We reflect the glory of God and we are proud that we are still standing. I may not be where I should be yet, but I am certainly not where I was and I am never going back. Watch me tilt my face towards heaven. You're about to receive the to see the reflection of the mighty God. His face is shining on me and that means His name can be put on you. That's the attitude of a band of survivors. Amen. Turn with us to Psalm chapter 81. We're going to look at verses 6 through 10. Now hopefully many of you in the room are recognizing that these are even scriptures that we shared at the New Year's Eve bonfire. Because these are words that the Lord has given to our church and we're refreshing them in our own hearts. Don't you need to review things at times? Yes. I, I'm a forgetful person. I need, to, I need to keep it in front of my face. I need to read it again and again and again and think on it so that it might get down into my heart. Look what Psalm 81 says. Verse 6. He says, I remove the burdens from their shoulders. It almost sounds like he's reminding them that he broke the bars of the yoke. Man, he broke it. I removed, I broke the burden from their shoulders. Their hands were set free. Come on, somebody in this house say, set free free. from the basket. In your distress, in those narrow places, in those difficult times, you called and I rescued you. You know what that word rescued right there means? It means he delivered you. He helped to make you a band of survivors. He stripped everything else away and he began to equip you for the war that is ahead of you. That's how our God rescues us. I answered you out of a thundercloud. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Verse 8, hear, O my people. Wow. Isn't it great when he reminds you that you are his people? When he speaks like a good shepherd and you hear his voice, you respond rightly to him and it strengthens you in every way. Listen, hear, O my people, and I will warn you. If you would but listen to me, you shall have no foreign God among you, no whispers of anything else. You shall not bow down to an alien God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. We're not going to open up our mouths to the enemy. We're going to open our mouths to the very Lord of all creation. And He's going to fill our mouths with righteousness, with replenishment, with renewal. We have the very words of life that He has given to us. He's removed our burdens. He set us free. He's lifted our hands. When we were in dire straits, He helped us. We are a band of survivals because we cling with tenacity to the words of God. To the words of life that He's given us. Listen to this. A revelation from God is not up for negotiation during difficult times. We are people who stand on the convictions that come from the revelation of the word. We are a band of survivors. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm part of a band of survivors. I'm a band of survivors. Come on, band of survivors. Turn to Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. Come on, sometimes we need encouragement from the living God. That he has put things within our grasp. That he has broken bars over our shoulders. That he has set the oppressed free and has liberated us in order to pursue him. Amen. Verse 12. 
Everybody take a look at Spence for a second. Spence, hold out your arms. Even Spence can reach it with those tiny T-Rex arms. The word is near you. Near you. It's not far from you. You know why you survive? Because you keep the word near you at all times. Amen. In verse 12 it says, It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Let me just pause on that. In difficult times, it's very difficult to also hear from God. Your emotions are all over the place. Your mental thoughts cannot be connected from one dot to the other. You're crying out to hear from God, so you search on YouTube a little bit for a message that can inspire you. You look uh, uh, within Apple Music Store to find a worship set that can direct you. You will find absolutely nothing. But you have that despair that can I really hear from God in this difficult time? Realize that difficult time is to make you realize that the word of God is near you. At the end where we're reading here, it is in your mouth. It is in your heart so that you may obey it. When we have the word of God in our mouths and hearts, means that it is correcting our hearts before it's correcting anybody else's. You know, one of the things that happens when we begin to read God's word, or let's say put together a word to share at prison or share at a fellowship, the sword of God's word is piercing our own heart first. And from that deep conviction, from that response to the sword of the word of God, we are then able to share a corrective life-giving word to everyone else. That leads to the courage to confront sin within ourselves, gives us the courage to correct others sin but there were times in the past when we've given each other words and it was a corrective sin a correction about sin but we didn't leave them in the place to gain life from it because we didn't first start with ourselves it came out with too much of a pointed tip that was leaving them in a state of being injured instead of leaving the state of being revived you know a good rule of thumb that we've learned regarding that we take the intensity with which the word corrects us. And then we take one-tenth of that and apply it to you. That's a good word. Now, I, I, I want you to catch something here. When you think, man, my pastors are kind of hard on us. You, you need to remember this formula. And it's right that we should do so. Because the word of God says those whose work is preaching and teaching receive a stricter judgment. See, some things simply should not be up for negotiation for us. And it's not. We're going to hold our heads up high. We're going to keep the word of God in our mouth and the devil's lies out of our ears. Would y'all like to turn to the last scripture? I want you to notice that's 58 minutes and 26 seconds into this message. The last scripture. The last scripture is an entire chapter, but it is the last scripture. Actually, we're going to be in Hebrews 11. In verse 33, nope, verse 40, I did not bring my spectacles today. Like that word, spectacles? Andrew, you look like you would like that word. Yeah. Andrew has a very mature beard. In Hebrews 11 and verse 40, God had planned something better for us that only together with us would they be made perfect. That is an incredible idea, given that the band of survivors that has gone before us is only made perfect when we are made perfect. Do you know what is at stake? What it is that you are being grafted into? 
See, these were not men that lost their conviction during difficult times. These were not men that faded out and claimed to still be serving the Lord. These were men who did things like conquered kingdoms. The only community that God accepts are those who are a band of survivors. This has been going on since the beginning. You join with them and they are only made perfect as you are. See, the bar is very high. He will perfect the saints of old who persevered and are a band of survivors, but He will do it in the same moment that He perfects us who count ourselves worthy of participating in the band of survivors. See, you're here because you've counted yourself worthy of the vision that is here. And I mean to say it exactly that way. If you get on a plane and you find out it is going to a destination you don't want to, get off before the flight is taken off. But once it's in the air, once you've said, this is my destination, it's our job to make sure you get there. And the only way off the flight you said God put you on and the direction that you were going is to jump. And we hate to watch people do that. But that's not who you are. You're still firmly seated right now as a band of survivors. And you will reach the destination. It was never our goal to build the largest church that we could. It was our goal to find those precious metals that God brought in here and prepare them for the work of service that God had for them. And that is our mission. It's okay with us if people don't see themselves as a part of this congregation. But that's not who you are because you're here. Complete your mission. Like those men that went before us, We have to share certain characteristics. If they are only made perfect when we are made perfect, then we have to share the kind of characteristics that they had. A few of them are found in verse 33. Take a look at verse 33 with us. And listen to this incredible list. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, And escaped the edge of the sword. Maybe my favorite phrase in the whole Bible. Yeah. Whose weakness was turned to strength. Come on, Jesus. And who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Let's put up the first slide and say this with me, saints. Say, conquered kingdoms. Conquered kingdoms. You are becoming a standard for everyone to see. When we are a band of survivors, we must do what the other band of survivors did. They conquered kingdoms, you become a standard. They administered justice, which is our next slide. You are a band of survivors because you are helping others with right perspective. I want to tell you that's not empathizing with them. That's not going wrong when they go wrong. The right perspective comes from Leviticus 17, and it clearly says, do not hate your neighbor in your heart. Rebuke him frankly. That is what it means to administer justice. When you're a band of survivors that is of the same quality, of the same DNA that Hebrews 11 had, you are a band of survivors that gained what was promised because you represent faithfulness and steadfastness in everything that you do. 
Well, you are a band of survivors joining with those men and to be able to shut the lion's mouths. You silence lies and rumors because the standard of God lies within you and you love your brothers. You're able to rebuke them sharply, leaving them with the ability to gain life. Because we are a band of survivors joining with our ancient counterparts, rising to a place of the resurrection. They quenched the fury of the flames and you calm the anger of the people that are around you. You firmly direct them towards the word of God and you do not participate in what they do. You are a band of survivors as you escape the sword's edge because you are not easily offended say that with us i am Am not not easily easily offended offended. that is a survival tip right there for a band of survivors come on you are a band of survivors when your weaknesses are turned into strength you're able to find the good and cause it to prevail in every situation The next thing that our band of survivors that went before us did is they became powerful in battle. This is what the dream that Justin had was to get us to do. Is stop running around looking frantically for a way to fix problems and go to war in prayer for others. While you may rebuke someone frankly to their face and not show empathy, where your compassion rises up is on your knees praying Amen. for their release Amen. from the devil's grip. Amen. And we are full of compassion. We will go to war in prayer for those that have fallen among Amen. us. Amen. What a good word. We are a band of survivors who has routed foreign armies. You know what this means? It means that you will ultimately prevail against all odds. You are going to prevail if you can remain faithful to what God has given us. That proves that you are a band of survivors. Church, are you firm in the house of God? Yes. Are you a band of survivors? Yes. Can you hear and implement the teaching that you are being given? Then we need to ask ourselves during this time that our worship team is getting ready. If I am being joined to the Hebrews Hall of Fame, because it clearly says that you will be perfected and they will only be perfected with you when you are. Is there an area of your life that needs to rise to a new level? Is there a place that if you have to stand next to Samson and Gideon and Barak and David and Samuel, this moment that you wouldn't want to talk about an area of your life? Now is the time to get that right. The Lord is perfecting us. He is sustaining us. He is going to grow us. But I want Him to grow you personally. The most painful thing that happens to us as pastors is when we see people get stagnant. Some of the harshest statements that come from us are trying to jar you out of a rut that you fall in. I believe that ministries that are meant to shake the world come from your lives. That's why we started this ministry. When we get to our feet and we begin to worship, this is your time. We've, we've preached the shortest message we've preached in a long time so that you would have the time 
to say, Lord, it is true that I'm a band of survivors. I'm still here. But I want to do more than survive. I want to thrive. I want to thrive in the house of God where you have planted me. I want to excel the new heights. I want you to be astonished with what comes from me. Ask him about that. And then whatever it takes to close the gap, do it. And know that you have our love and our support right where you are. You know me very well. There is not one person in this room that I don't want to be here. If I didn't want you to be here, I would tell you plainly, nose to nose, face to face. We want you here because of what God is doing in you. But there is no purpose in you being here if you will not let us provoke you to what God is doing in you. It's our job. It's our function. And we are only successful when you thrive as God has intended you to. Would you stand to your feet? I'm going to begin to pray. Altar calls have never been our real problem. But make sure that this altar call becomes a moment for you that is not just lost among the many altar calls. Make sure. If you're going to go through hell on earth, if you're going to pay a price for being dangerous to the enemy, then you might as well excel. You've already put skin in the game. You might as well excel. Let's let the Lord bring us to new heights and new spiritual prosperity this year, and it starts now.